Hello everybody, hi, um, welcome back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast where I speak with some of the most incredible black entrepreneurs, professionals um, from all over the world actually, I feel like I've gone international now-ish <laughs> and today I have someone else, like I know I bring a lot of long-term friends or long-term people that I've known for a while but I've known this guest for over a decade now it's been over a decade decade. and i've just watched her blossom and grow over the years she's a confidence and creativity coach a d and i leadership consultant and the founder of vibe 365 give it up for beverly akufo ada that's it for me (laughs) (laughs) welcome Ben. thank you guys it's a pleasure to be on the black creek connect podcast oh thank you thank you so much by the way for like being so supportive to for me I feel like before this even from uni days like yeah. you've always just been a really nice cheerleader for me oh, um but I feel the same likewise as well and you know what sometimes I will look back on things and um I don't know if you remember one of my birthdays and I like you were the one of the people yeah. <laughs> for context this was for my 25th birthday and I wanted to do a surprise dance performance at my birthday and I was like okay who can I ask that I think would be that for it Alicia and Alicia came down to rehearsals in the studio performed in front of people so even things outside of uni in uni business wise career wise I think that you're just always cheerleading people on <laughs> thank you Ben I remember that do you know what that was of course it was for you as well but I really enjoyed that um, oh so glad doing like the dance routines of Simona and like practicing them and make it, it kind of brought back school memories so I used to do that in school all the okay. time but um but anyway like my so my usual um kind of pattern here is to really understand Mm. every guest's kind of journey to where they are today i know that you're your own boss right now and we're gonna get onto that in a Mm -hmm. bit but back let's take it back even before uni to your upbringing so when you were kind of i guess developing growing up what was your upbringing like what were some of the core values that you were kind of taught from your parents um just give us like an insight into bev yeah it was definitely very much academic so i grew up just with my mom my dad wasn't in my life still isn't um so i grew up with my mom my sister my younger sister um and it was very much academic so focus on your studies focus on your studies which is all good i enjoyed school i enjoyed primary secondary sixth form so that wasn't a problem um and i think it was getting towards like that I don't know how old we were but you know when MSN was around Mm. and I loved MSN that's when I started getting distracted so that's when we started getting a bit tension at home and things weren't as good at the time because even if it was like okay maybe I spent an extra hour on MSN and was supposed to be doing homework for my mum I'm um, from Ghana so West African background Mm. um it was just very much like I was the worst person on earth, I remember. (laughs) Being on the internet was a crime back in the day. Oh, my goodness. It really, really was. Um, So, back then, I enjoyed doing my schoolwork. That wasn't an issue. I also enjoyed being social and being around friends. Mm. Um, But it was definitely, like, a thing of, no, what do you need to go and go to your friend's house for or what do you need to do? So, Mm. it was very much strict. And I know that I would do things to kind of like get around it so my mum wouldn't find out. Mm. And I've taken that on from then to kind of be like, well, if I know I was doing those kinds of things, Mm. then I wouldn't want somebody to kind of like be fearful of me. So they have Mm. to hide things. Um, Because that's how it definitely was. And of course, being the eldest as well, you have to do everything so do everything 
Perfectly, yeah. I'm not too so I, I feel that too. Otherwise, everything is blamed on you for how like the younger yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um so yeah, I would say that's how it was. And then my mum got very much involved in the church from when I was about 13, I would say. 13, okay. That's when I started going to church with my mum and my sister. Mm. Um and then I would say maybe around like that older teen years as well mm. is when my mum was very much more and more embedded in it and then I was not too much for it. Mm. So there was friction there as well. There was definitely friction there because it was like, okay, well, I still wanted to be with my friends, but then it was mm. the whole thing of like, that's a secular world. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. On top of that, right? So it's another layer. Um, yeah, so I'd say that was kind of like my upbringing. General upbringing. Mm. I feel like you've always been like a leader. You've always had this um instinct to just take an initiative and lead where do you think that kind of came from and where where did that kind of grow you know what i have no answer to that because even like my mum would say like from nursery that if she'll come and pick me up i'm the person that's making sure that the other children are okay first or from like reception to kind of make sure like okay but are they okay or help the teacher to tidy up the toys first i just wanted to make sure that things were done before i was going home and my mum would be like it's time to go so um i know that my grandmother she always used to be a person who was like, oh, well, wherever you go and how you find a place, make, like, leave it even better when mm. you're going. Mm. So I know she was always like that. And I was really, really close to my grandmother. And I would pick up a lot of those habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was to do with that. But then also maybe, I, I don't know, but maybe kind of like seeing my mum in terms of the things that she would do, mm. mainly by herself. So mm. I would kind of imitate those and you pick up a lot as a child even yeah. if you, the parent thinks that you're not watching them but yeah. then seeing their actions you tend to pick up those kind of things and um, you know being the elder sister and stuff like that so mm. I would say yeah maybe it, it came from those but I know that I also did well in school because I enjoyed it so it'd be mm. like okay Beverly do you want to be a prefect or do you want to do this and I was like yeah. <laughs> do you want to ring the you school like bell? being in charge <laughs> <laughs> that was you <laughs> So I think naturally it just kind of went in that direction, but never a thing of like, oh, I want to be the leader. I want to do this. It was just like, okay, It was a natural I'll... thing that you would just take up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? When you was, um, because of that trait that you had in you, I'm sure you identified that you was a type of person from mm-hmm. early, like in school days. Did you feel like you were inspired to go down a certain career path or were you just kind of opened? Was there something you really wanted to be or really wanted to do? I really, really, like when I was maybe primary to secondary school, I wanted to be an author. I just wanted to be... It can still happen though. Oh, I hate writing. Like, I don't want to write anymore. Ghostwriting? No, 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 I don't want to do it. I, because I got into a career where I had to write every day and I said, I don't want to do it anymore. So when I was working in comms, I said, I don't want to write all the time. Yeah. But back in the day, maybe it was like fun. I was writing like a little short fiction story. Yeah. Then I wanted to be an author. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, when you do the two weeks placement when you're 15 in secondary school. <laughs> so I did it at Reuters um, in Canary Wharf and I was doing that. Thompson and Reuters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good two weeks. It, it was amazing. I'm there at Nubian Jack. For, do you remember Nubian Jack? No. Mm. Nubian Jack is a hair shop, okay? okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I did my work experience <laughs> and you're at Thompson Reuters, wow. How did you get in there? They were just, because they found us different placements and oh. they were like, oh, would you be interested in this? And I said, oh. okay then. Okay, okay. And I, at the age, I didn't know that Thompson Reuters was like, 
a big deal until mm. I got there. I was like, oh my gosh, is this what work is like? And then they, <laughs> the offices were nice. Yeah. They were lovely. I think we were doing like a story about David and Victoria Beckham at the time. And it was kind of like glam. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be a journalist. That's what I'm going to do when I leave. I'm going to be a journalist. And that's where my interest in journalism came yeah, from yeah, yeah. and then you know we went to uni so that's what I studied and um we studied abroad but I studied abroad the year before you did yeah. right so I said that's it I'm going to LA I'm going to be this journalist and marry my basketball player <laughs> <laughs> life is going to be sorted <laughs> um I was coming back to Hertfordshire to finish this one year then I'm going to be back again I remember when you went to LA yeah yeah actually you know it's clicking because I remember I asked you every single question yes. under the sun yes, before yes, I went yes. yeah yeah so um for me my head it was very much well this is just this is just my this what's gonna be i'm gonna be driven to work in a limo every day (laughs) i genuinely just thought from like the age of 15 when i stepped into thompson reuters for the two weeks that that's what i was the kind of journalist that i was going to to be so i wouldn't say that there was anything that i was like strongly wanting to be Mm. like the prime minister or any kind of like Mm. leadership position Mm. um it was just like okay what do i what do i like doing and and that was basically reporting and sharing stories and writing yeah. at the time. At the time. So when you, so obviously you, you went to Hertfordshire. Why did you decide Hertfordshire, by the way? Was that your first choice? It wasn't my first choice. My first choice was DMU. I didn't get in. So <laughs> Hertfordshire wasn't my first choice either. <laughs> I, did, I went to Clarence. DMU. And then um, for journalism, you had to do an interview and a couple of exams. So I oh, think I really? passed one exam, I didn't pass the next one. For journalism, you have to do the exams? Yeah, back then anyway, you had to. And it was like, who's the Prime Minister of Spain? I was just thinking, I know this journalism is about world news, but give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, yeah you what was your first choice? Brunel. Oh, was it? Brunel was yeah, one of my options though. Yeah, Brunel was my first choice. Was Hertfordshire my second? I think it might have been my second choice. Oh. Maybe. And I, and, I mean, I'm, ha- I'm really, really happy I went. Yeah. Like, I'm really happy I went to Hertfordshire. How did, you, how did you find it? What was your... Give us your version, your POV of Hertfordshire. I loved uni. I absolutely loved it. People ask me now, oh, do you miss it? Would you want to go back? Yeah. I'm like, no, because I'm... St- I'm content with the stage I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. But back in Hertfordshire, I loved it. Like first year was just fun. Mm. I mean, for the studying, I didn't think the quality of studying was amazing. Mm. I don't think that I needed to study there for like three years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the social aspect, mm. which is what I was going for, truthfully. <laughs> I think you were, yeah. <laughs> the social aspect was great. And then second year was when I decided to go for ACS president as well. So doing that. And again, it wasn't like, oh, I want to be president. It was that, okay, people don't want to go into this, go into the role of ACS president, but I didn't want a community to just go and for there to be no ACS. How how did you get into ACS president? Because I remember, I feel like I heard through the grapevine that the mm. year before you, it was kind of dying out. Yeah. And ACS, for those that don't know, and I'm, I'm assuming most black people that have gone to university know, but it's, just explain what ACS is. Yeah, so it stands for the African Caribbean Society um, and it brings back brings together a network of um, people from black backgrounds, African, mm. West African, well, West Indian backgrounds mm. um, who've gone to university mm. and you do different like social events, can be like learning and development events, mm. chill things, but just for you to be able to have that sense of belonging mm. and togetherness mm. while navigating university, which mm. for a lot of people is the first time you live away from home because it's yeah. a campus university. 
Yeah. I loved how you described it because I felt like there was that sense of togetherness through ACS. That's why I gravitated mm. towards it so much. And I think that's why we love communities and stuff like that yeah. now because I feel like there's this, I don't know, there's just strength in just togetherness. Exactly. And when I when I went to the first ACS thing, I was like, thinking, oh, this is cool. <laughs> hey, black people, <laughs> university. Hey, I loved it. But yeah, so what was the experience like? I guess that was your first proper leadership role in uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what was that whole experience like for you? The good, the bad, the uglies, the greats, all yeah, of that. Yeah, so I'll say the goods was just being able to see different people because you have different captains as well. So like the street suit captains who would be in charge of promoting our events and stuff, um, media, arts. So I loved seeing other people step into these roles as well, mm. as well as the teams and people kind of like brainstorming ideas and innovation and things that we could do together. Um, and then things I hadn't done before. So, okay, going to the Galleria to ask if we could do something mm. or, uh, so the Galleria was the shopping center in Hatfield, mm. Hertfordshire. Um, so yeah, I think it was just being able to have the freedom outside of the academics um, part mm. to go and have fun, but mm. also in a together way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the challenging parts, there were so many challenging parts because it's not easy to put on events for a lot of black students. It just was not easy. Like you have different types of comments, you have a lot of conflict, mm. you have judging, you have mm. gossip, you've got things like that that happens. So it's managing those and navigating it and not allowing, first of all, you don't want to, you don't want there to be a bad reputation amongst our own yeah. and you don't want it in the university because that's when yeah. they start saying you can't use this room or you yeah. can't use this venue and I really 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 didn't want that mm. so it was like okay how can I manage it without policing people mm. um, and also not kind of blurring lines between friendships and okay this is our roles yeah. because it was like work in a way you know what I mean yeah. it was a lot it's a whole company if you have like media team you had arts yeah. and you had like you know assistants and you had all, all of these different people in the teams mm. it was like work yeah exactly so it was a lot of different things but I would not change that experience at all and it was how I got the role that I did after that so yeah everything is a stepping stone onto something new what was your role after that um, I was working for a company called Oh my gosh, what are they called again? Nesta. So they do events and they do a lot of investment and stuff. Mm. So from the experience that I'd had in the ACS, mm. um, I got to talk a lot about that in the interview and mm. take some of the ideas forward to go and work with Nesta, mm. which I loved, love, love um, working with them at the time that I did. Was that in university? you done that whilst you were there? No, when I finished her. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Yeah. So that was, by the way... For the record, you did a sick job at ACS President. Oh, thank you. I had a really good time because <laughs> I I came in to so many events and things rolling and us being involved in different things. Yeah. And for the record, Hertfordshire was the littest uni at the time you went. I think it we was were. so. It was, it so was UH good. was one of the littest unis. I don't know what it's about now, but it was just yeah. I had a time in my life. Then in your year, didn't you do like some kind of ACS captain? Yeah. Yeah. No. So for so from my year when you gave it up then yeah. yeah I was obviously involved in ACS yeah. the following year with Ade Michelle yeah. Effie um, yeah. 
Sean. And it's, cr- it's crazy because I'm looking at what everyone's doing now yeah. and it's still kind of aligned to like what their roles were in ACS oh. at the time. Because I know Essie's like deep into events as well. She yeah. just DJing. Um, you know, Michelle is, is, is still, she's kind of owning her space and like mm-hmm. fashion and traveling. I'm not sure what Ade's doing at the moment, but I think like Sean is still like into creating yep. and creative. I still catch up with her every now and then. So it's just nice to see that everyone's kind of, you know, still doing something that they were genuinely interested yes, in. Yes, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. um, do you, well, I mean, how how did you find those relationships kind of grow from university to after university? Did you maintain a lot of them, or did they kind of just change and shift over time? Yeah, I think a lot of them still grew just differently so you yeah. know you're not on campus where you're next door to people yeah. you can just turn up so you don't see each other in person like that yeah but with social media we're still connected digitally some people are still meet up with and um, very close with and stuff like that so i would say it's been really and people some people still talk about it today about acs and i'm like wow that was a very long time ago yeah. but it's really nice to see how relationships that were built created yeah. and nurtured back then can still be maintained right now and i yeah. think it just says a lot about the people that um we were connected with as well yeah yeah and it yeah. was genuine when you're doing something genuinely yeah. then it's going to be able to still run through exactly. a number of months years decades exactly <laughs> no honestly honestly it will like i mean that was that in itself like i think was a huge part of uni experience but yes. also the studying abroad yeah so tell us like First of all, how and why did you go to LA? Yeah. And what was that whole entire year yeah. in LA like for you? So I want to say first, because I see a lot of, I don't know if it's slander or sometimes people saying, oh, there's no point in going to uni. Like there's so many things now, it's a waste mm, of money. Mm. I do understand that it's a lot more expensive because the time that I went was like the 3K a year. Yeah. Is that the same for you? Yeah, I literally just like got oh, into that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know it's really expensive now. So yeah. that is a huge thing. But it's about making the most of your uni experience in addition to the academics. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have like camera equipment that you can use, yeah. different editing software, like all these things that you can use for free, free of charge. Yeah. I wish, I you. wish I was in uni now too. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually amongst my sisters because they're in uni. <laughs> Still got the yeah, I know. Um, so for me, it was really important. So yeah. in addition to ACS, I also did Crush Radio, which is like an underground radio thing, mm. um, a magazine type mm. of thing. So also looking at the things that you can do do to enrich your university yeah, experience if you do go because there's so yeah. many things that we don't often think to get involved in with the different societies or networks that's at university yeah um, and study abroad was one of the things that i said you know what i when would i get the chance again yeah. to go and just have an, an amazing time um abroad yeah. studying while meeting new people yeah and i hadn't been to america before then so i was like oh my gosh i want to go to america i told you i in my head i had it i was going to be this successful global journalist <laughs> who got driven to work in their limit every day this is with your basketball player husband exactly yeah, yeah. That was it. So um, the re- I didn't, California wasn't my first choice. Mm. It was Florida. Okay. Um, but I can't remember what happened with the Florida thing for one reason or the other. But I loved, loved, loved my study abroad in California, which I was in Long Beach, which is part of the LA County. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I got there and I was like, this campus is amazing. Like it's huge. They've got outdoor pools, indoor pools. And I loved how the their Pools, focus, like swimming? Yeah. I didn't have that my my one. We were, you were in California as well, Yeah, but you? San Jose, they didn't have no pools. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why did I not go to Long Beach? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I 
giving me knives right now because I'm like, <laughs> sorry, continue, <laughs> continue. But yeah, so there's so many different things on campus. Um, saying that though, my first two, three weeks there, I hated it. I wanted to come back to London. Why? Absolutely hated it. I just wasn't having a good time. The the girls there were mean. They, yeah, they were yeah. Oh, I I had a lot of beef with girls there, oh, like random beef God. as well. Yeah, like it was like some of them were really overly weirdly nice. Right. And some of them were like really mean, and I wasn't having it. So I'm like <laughs> me. <laughs> I'm not the one, no. you know. Yeah, no, literally to the point where I was like, I'm not going out, guys. I'm not gonna go out. Mm. I, but, I, but yeah. So anyway, but it's about your experience. So yeah, why? Yeah, why were they so, mean yeah. to you? Uh, first of all, I just didn't understand. I was just like, what is going on? I'm just trying to say hey to my black sis. Do you know what I'm saying? Why, why, what, what's the issue here? Um, only to find out that later that they thought that people in the UK were kind of like stuck up or thought they were better than Americans and wow. stuff. So I just thought, wow. I mean, maybe we do have, you know, you know how we have perceptions of Americans and Americans yeah, yeah, perceptions yeah, of yeah. British people and stuff. But it's funny because here I'm just like, well, I'm from Ghana. I'm not thinking like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So um, that was a bit different. Then I think like once the ice broke and they realised that, you know what, I'm not that kind of person, then things were fine. Um, and then from then on, like I really loved my experience. Professors, my the families that took me in like via uh, over Thanksgiving and stuff. So I still oh, talk yeah. to a lot of people from um, Long Beach now. Yeah. And a couple of my professors I still talk to, the families I still talk to, like my friend's mum, we were having like a long WhatsApp video call not too long ago. So it was amazing, the the sororities. If I was there for the whole time- You'd get into sorority. Which one? Oh, oh, not the AKAs. Yeah, um, yeah, Alpha Kappa. Is that Alpha Kappa? Alpha? Yeah, but not them. There was another one that I can't remember the name of, but I liked how they were doing their step in. So for me, I was like, oh, I'll do stepping or stomping. Yeah, 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 yeah. They used to do it everywhere, every day. I loved it. You'll be in the club and now you just see them come in, like (laughs) stepping. I'm like, we're in the club, you know, it's not, it's not. But no, but I I, I feel you. I feel like if I was there one more year year longer, I would have joined one as well. Yeah. Because again, it's community. Community. That's, That's what it's all about. And you know what's so sick about their sororities and fraternities? is the fact that you could be 60 years, 60 years old and you still go to like a cover party because yeah, you're cover for life. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And also, because I, I remember actually, I don't know if you ever, if you went to like a ceremony, like a sorority ceremony where someone was getting pledged in. Uh, no, I didn't. I think so. So I went to, I went to one one time and it was really interesting. I've never really seen anything like it. I don't really know how to, I didn't know how I felt about it at the time, but because it was so new, but just to give you all, all an idea, like it was literally a group of all of us on campus, the different type of sororities there supporting this one. Mm. And then it was loads of older guys, like guys that were like 50, mm. 60, and they were part of the sorority that these new guys were being pledged into. And they had to like recite all the pledges mm. and, and everything. And they all made their noises. <laughs> and I was just like, this is really fascinating. Like this is just a completely different culture yes. to what we've ever been exposed to. Yeah. And one, one thing that a lot of them said about sororities that was um that was a massive benefit was that when they leave university 
they can shout one of their older brothers or older sisters to get into like a certain firm or yes. company or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a massive benefit. I find it so interesting because I went to an event called Kappa Christmas and you'd have like the younger ones and then like the older guys who would still come back. And I was like, this is interesting because there's definitely like 19 year old girls here, but you know what? Maybe it's more about community. <laughs> it's community, yeah. It's community. Yeah. Um, and then one of my friends, when he came over to London and he was a, or he is a Kappa mm. and he was like, oh, I'm going to see if there's any other Kappas in London. And I thought, that's just so interesting. And then they like connected and stuff. And it's like, wow, this yeah. is how deep it runs. You remember Elizad? Yeah. He joined one. I yeah, he joined one, like, and yeah. he's still one today as well. Oh my god, he's in the group as well, like he. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So he's still that. That was interesting. I, me- I remember when um, he told me, and I was just like, "You what? You <laughs> pledged?" Wow. But I mean, I'm sure it has its benefits. Do you know what I mean? When you obviously went to LA and everything, you studied. Mm. Did Did you study when you went there? Yeah. Okay. Did you not? <laughs> what not I will really. say though. <laughs> Their studying is much easier than here. It's so much easier. Like I, I said, what? I didn't really study. <laughs> like, I, I passed, yeah. but I don't remember really sinking in information. And I did, like, really random courses, because you can do anything. I love So that, I did yeah. a class. I did radio as a class. Oh, okay. I did acting. I did a whole play. You acting? I did acting as a class. Wow. This had nothing to do with my degree. <laughs> um, I did, like, advertising was, was sick. I loved advertising. Mm. Like, that was really interesting. Walking was a class as well walking mm-hmm. you, did you do that no it was full up <laughs> so, <laughs> so I couldn't join but yeah what, what classes did you do when you were talking there um, I did like some interview interviewing skills class I did TV news production class which I didn't actually want to do but everything else was full up so I ended up in TV news production but which I ended up loving um, I did Africana studies which was very interesting because it was just us talking about like black relationships and yeah. black families that's it yeah it was really really cool and have, do you know of this um the what should i say not celebration kwanzaa what's that so a lot of black people i think more so now are celebrating it in december instead of christmas but it's like seven ah. days of kwanzaa and then it's like day one might meet like peace the second day is like unity right anyway so it's quite it's getting more and more known but i was gonna say the professor who coined Kwanzaa was a professor at Long Beach. So when people talk about Kwanzaa, I'm like, yeah, I know him. I know the person oh, that made Kwanzaa up. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay, well, you might hear it. You might hear, this I heard December. gumbo a hundred times. I love it. Did you, did you eat it? Yeah, it was all right. Oh, I, did enjoy, <laughs> I did enjoy some gumbo. Um, so yeah, That's those were gone. the classes that I remember taking and, you know, some other ones. Mm. Um, but I loved the flexibility that you could just go and choose whatever you wanted to do. I loved that. I loved that as well. Like, they, that, that was mass- massively flexible. And I felt like they were much more in fitness there at the time. Yes. Like, that's that's when I really started going to the gym. Same. Ish. Because, you know, I'm still ish now. But, <laughs> but, 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 no, I went gym, like, religiously. I went done Pilates, yoga. Okay. Because it, it was a thing to do. It was like, yep. I'm just going to the gym on my break. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go too. Yep, yep. <laughs> and you know what? That was one of the times... Like, I remember, you know, we went from, like, August until the following summer yeah. or whatever. That December in the middle is when I... Probably the t- one of the times that I felt at my lowest in life really? in terms of about my body because yeah. you're in LA, you're yeah. next to Beverly Hills, Orange County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Everyone's Every- skinny. Yeah. yeah. And I remember looking at myself in the shower one day and I just thought, I don't want to... I don't want to... this. I was just so Depressed. low and upset. And I don't know if this was the same for you, but mm. on our campus... 
Um, we don't have kitchens. So, like, you know, like at Hertfordshire, you'd have your kitchen where you're going to yeah, cook yeah. food. So there's no kitchens. You only have the canteens. So when it's breakfast time, you go there. Oh. When it's lunch, you go there. And when it's dinner time, you go there. Unless you want to go to other restaurants off campus, but you don't have kitchens to cook. So also oh. it was um, all-you-can-eat buffet. When <gasps> so- <laughs> I tell you, that first semester... I just said all you can eat and I said it's over. How is it all you can oh, eat? Breakfast, good. lunch and dinner? I'll, and the thing is, with all you can eat, I can really eat. Okay. <laughs> I can really eat a lot. <laughs> Alicia. I don't know if it's going to stop. I was like, okay, so the pizza station is here. The sushi is there. The Mediterranean station is orange here. Orange chicken is there as orange well. Chi- I love me some orange chicken. I was taking my containers to take back food for like, okay, if I want like a midnight snack. Did you try um, the bazooki? They were like cookie doughs, but they were bigger and thicker. I don't think so. But was it bazooki? I think I might be saying it wrong. Bazooki or something. But those, ooh, I ate those probably like... <laughs> At least two or three a week. It was really bad. It was really bad. And they were like, cooking those were bigger and thicker. Oh gosh, American food is dangerous. So dangerous. And I thought, why would you do this? But then, so then after that first semester of all you can eat three times a day, yeah, I said, Bev, you got to get this together. So that's when I started, when I came back in the January um, to America, like my fitness journey. And then like, I lost quite a bit of weight and then mm, came I remember. back. And, yeah, and carried that on and stuff. So even though that was like such a low time, sometimes I just felt like, you know what, boy, I had to hit that rock bottom to make a change. And I thought to myself, yeah, this is this is mad because this is all you can eat, but does it? am I going to be all you can live? Like, what's, what is going to happen? But there's going to be a consequence. <laughs> and the thing is, when you, for some reason, I don't know if you've had this as well, but when food is free, it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm putting them away. <laughs> Because it's free. So I feel like I'm just going to eat it and it's not really going to put on weight, is it? Because it's free. <laughs> it's such a mad concept. So like whenever someone offers me food, I'm thinking, mm, yeah, all right, okay, give me some burger, give me some chocolate. It's fine. Because I'm not paying for it. Exactly. Exactly. But I was afraid to go back home that Good. Christmas because I was like, oh my gosh. People remember me when I was like August and I know that I look bigger. Thankfully, it was winter. So it's like, okay, I'm going to hide under my jumper. Yeah, my yeah, coat. yeah. But I still knew that my face was real chipmunkish. As yeah. in not chipmunk, the artist. Yeah. Like, yeah. So um, it was a fun yeah. time though. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a fun time. Okay, okay. So let's let's go on to your time after uni. I feel yeah. like you... Obviously, I know you said you got the job with Nesta. Yes. Straight after uni. Was that quite quick for you? Yeah, it was very quick to be honest. So um, I think I applied for a few places, but Nesta was like one of the early ones that I applied for. Um, went for the interview and like I said I think that the ACS stuff and just like different roles I'd gone for mm. um, and the work, study abroad mm-hmm. really helped to, to pave the way for it because mm. it showed being proactive yeah, taking yeah, initiative yeah. like there's just so many things that you they can love it. exactly yeah, um, so that was really cool and then I the only reason why I left Nesta was because I went to go and do a master's out of family pressure. Like, I never wanted to do my master's, right? Yeah. So I was going to do a master's. I hated the whole entire year. <laughs> what, what master's was it? TV journalism. And you, you completed it? Completed it, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, so I completed it. My mental health definitely, like, diminished during really? that time. It was Why? really bad. Like, I just, for, I just didn't want to do a course, but it was just like, no, you have to go and do a master's. Go and do it. And I thought... So they wanted me to do it initially 
when I finished Hertfordshire, so straight away, and I said, oh, can I just, like, take a, a year up to work? And then I thought, you know what, maybe because I'm enjoying this job, they'll be fine with it. And it was like, no, you have to go and get your master's. So what if you didn't do it? Like, what was the consequences? So, you know what, I look back now, and I'm like, if I said, no, I'm not going to, what would it have been? But I think at that time, I still had, like, that fear. Mm. And also that disappointment. Like, if it was maybe just my mum, mm. I maybe wouldn't have minded too much. But my grandmother, I just never wanted to disappoint her. Right, and I, I really, really loved, like, I was just so close to her. So I was just like, you know what, let me just go and do this one year and get it out of the way. In the first... That like, is so nice. <laughs> so done. In the first two, three weeks, I just thought, this is not the right decision. And they give you, I think, like a month as to whether you want to drop out and you get your money refunded and whatnot. Mm. So a couple of people did, and I just thought, oh my gosh, every part of me wanted to, but I still had that fear. Really? So I didn't I didn't drop out, and I kept with it. And, um, yeah, so I did that TV journalism. It was just very intense. So with the master's degree, it was a very, like a lot of theory, but at the same time, very, very practical, and yeah. they would put you in real-life situations. Mm. So you get to uni, it's sometimes some of our classes would go from 9 a.m. to like 9 p.m. So you get straight. No, you'd have a couple of breaks in between. Oh, that's so long though. It was long. Um, and then you go to it and they say, okay, you've got two hours or three hours to go and find a story. So then you have to go and like traipse the streets of London, find the story. Oh, the like there and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, fun. No, when you're doing it so often, it's not, it just wasn't fun anymore. And because people would like, if you had guests lined up and then they say, no, we can't do it. So you've got 45 minutes to quickly find another guest, find another story that's happening. <clears throat> and it sometimes has to be like breaking news or it could be, they'll give you um, categories to fall under. But for that time, Twitter was amazing because I was just always putting out general requests. So that was really, really helpful finding things. Um, so yeah, I think that it was a very heavy course because you've got the legal aspect to it, you've got the stats to it, the data, everything at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was working part-time as well. So it was a lot at the same time. However, the skills that I took away from it has definitely helped shape where I am now. Like I know that for a fact because really? I'm like, I the, the fact that I just did not want to do it and then was just always going, 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 going. It just didn't feel like it would stop. Yeah. Um, it was very intense. So I was very glad when that finished. And afterwards, um, I went into a role, I think, within comms. Was that where I went? No, no, no. Yeah. I went into a newsroom, and that's when I said, I don't want to do journalism anymore. Okay, what happened to the newsroom? Um, <clears throat> it just wasn't for the people. So I just thought, you know, like black journalism, people. no people in general, oh. right? <laughs> I mean, for black people either. But um, I knew that it's not for actual people. Like, yes, they have a responsibility to report on news. Yeah. But I got to really understand that you're not really reporting on all the angles or the truth, right? Really? Yeah. And flashing news, like we didn't know that. But it's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely for you to confirm. Tell us more. Tell us more, Bev. And. Um, <laughs> So they're just things that we're doing. It was just like, okay, what's this news outlet doing? We, we need to make sure that we get these viewers. So it was more so competition against the other news outlets. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, what were these? We could, you could go, you could. No. Um, it was more so competition against the other news outlets mm. um, as opposed to, okay, the story itself. And I remember one time that I just said, you know what? No, I'm not doing it. So I found a story and it was about 
um, a famine, and I can't remember what country, mm. but the numbers had superseded records. So I said, okay, we need to report on this. I found guests that could come and talk about but it. But what was the story? About a famine in a country in Africa, oh, but I can't remember what okay. country, mm-hmm. but it had superseded like previous records. So this was really, really bad. Mm. Um, so I found guests that could come and talk on it, everything scheduled for the studio and whatnot. And then someone else was like, oh my question, I'm so sorry. Yeah. First of all, how did you find a story and how did you find what guests to talk on it? Like what was... Oh, I would just either look on Twitter or Google in terms of the topics I'm looking for. So in terms of the, did you say what subject? Yeah, so, 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 how, so how did you find the subject? Yeah. And then the guests as well, how did you find that? So on the subject, there's, um, I can't remember what it was called, but there was like a website and it always have like breaking news or things that's coming oh. up. So you always get little things notifying you like, this is happening, this is oh, happening, this is happening. I see. Um, Reuters used to use that a lot too, or sometimes Reuters would be the ones that would put it out and you've got like Reuters right. images and stuff. So it's like, okay, finding these things first. If you could find an exclusive, that's even better. Um, and then in terms of guests who to contact, let's just say it was to do with the famine. So I would look for people that's in like the World Health organization but it's like linked to it in london that they could come in Got you. and we could get them in quickly because it would be short notice as well sometimes so um was it like pitching saying hey can you come to our newsroom because it, or was it paid no we wouldn't pay them really so they just have to take their time and just come and yeah but we would we would pay for them to like get in a cab and come over and stuff like that but in terms of it wouldn't be like oh we're gonna pay you this much to really come yeah so that's how it was um and it was usually just phone calls so i'd like try and find their numbers or someone who would know someone that's like self got like into yeah basically but news is so fast paced and if you don't get something then it's gonna go but anyway so i had yeah this one particular and um someone else was like oh no but there's a, a little baby in the uk who's um died of or is critically ill with meningitis b and then they say so we're gonna replace it and i said oh but this like this is also like a very big story right yeah and she was like oh it's africa they'll be dying again tomorrow (gasps) yeah yeah that's when i said get me out of here (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) let's see his face that's so out of order like what did was anyone else there do you know what? I can't even remember if someone else was there, but I remember I didn't report it. What the hell? But then I was just so stunned that that had been said. But I, <gasps> I just like these people are a blatant racism, b so desensitized. Like the amount of bad news you get in every single day yeah. takes its toll, and it was taking yeah. its toll on me as well. But when because I heard you're just, her, you're, just, you're just numb to it. You come exactly. Oh wow! And when I heard her say like, "Oh, it's Africa. They're going to be dying again tomorrow." I just thought, oh my gosh, you're not here for any kind of change. You're just here for what can we report on, what's going to get views, what's going to get us sales, what's going to get us money. That is what I... Yeah, no, I'd have to leave as well. (laughs) It was so mad. And then they tried to, like, offer me more pay or whatever. I said, I just can't stay here. The whole thing of it. And you know what? Even if she didn't offer me more money, I don't know how much longer I would have stayed in, in that. And I know people who are journalists now, black journalists, and they're just like, it is tough especially for black people Isn't and i just it? don't think i mean i know like a lot of industries are tough right yeah for people from black backgrounds but i just journalism is really hard i, I couldn't so, stay there so the thing is right <clears throat> here's my question in regards to journalism mm. we want to get more black stories and stories out that matter to us mm. and that affect our countries as well how do you think we should go about doing that if the the kind of journalism industry is 
operates like that where it doesn't really accommodate greatly for us like what yeah. do you think we, that we can do about that i think it's also about the outcome like what do we want the outcome to be because when it comes to news once you report on it that's it what? yeah yeah it's yeah. like on to the next on yeah to the next, yeah that's next. true so <clears throat> no matter how many stories are put out there it's like okay what do we do and sometimes it can be i know there's like a um term for it called like trauma porn where there's a lot of trauma now and it's like it's, it may be having the opposite effects rather than us wanting to help and support it's really kind of like diminishing mm. our own emotional mental kind of health yeah. as well so i'm i still ask myself that too like where how far does it go because i feel there was a point where like almost every day i started posting up reposting on my twitter or instagram like missing black children missing black children missing black people and i was just like oh my gosh you know what i want them to be found but now this is like a lot. What's going on? Do I people there's... ignore it for the most part? No, I wouldn't say people ignored it, but I think you can still reshare it, but then it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not getting them. to the cause. Yeah. It's not getting to the root of the problem. Yeah. The root of the problem is that there is either a reason why people are leaving their homes or that this, this, the world isn't safe or society isn't safe. What is going on? So I get that it's needed to be able to report on those numbers and things that's going on, However, how do we tackle it? Like, my thing is, the, what's next? And I don't have an answer for it. Right. Okay. I don't have an answer for, for that. So I think that that is needed, but also stories are needed from more black people's perspectives. And I don't just mean mm. the reporter or the journalist. They're not the decision makers. Mm. I'm talking about the editors, the mm. chief editors. So they're the people that have the final yes or no, or they'll say, you know what, write it in this way or report it in that way. Whereas there'll mm. be journalists who are still doing their job but they don't have that that strong of a say so it's more so and it goes for like lots of different careers right the how you get that's where the decision making is or governance being on boards and stuff like that um and it's i'm very much more passionate about more black people being able to not only be in these positions but to know about these positions yeah yeah um being a school governor as much as we might say oh this isn't on the curriculum or this it comes from the school governance mm. on of course um the department of education so mm-hmm. there's so much to it and it's about making those roles visible as well and being able to have an understanding of those roles and how and where you can make change so how do you think there could be more visibility on those roles like to the black community um so for example i think networks like this black Create connect mm. um and other similar networks mm. is amazing the way how i first knew about board roles and how to get into them was from um a friend called claude williams and he does dream nation but he's on like four boards or something now and i just didn't know first of all the difference between the exec and non-exec director board positions and how to get on them and way to wake your way up and what skills you need and stuff like that i don't need but <clears throat> tell us because i'm i'm interested to know yeah so some of them are paid some of them are unpaid mm. they might require you your time for like a day a month or something maybe sometimes like two days a month mm-hmm. um but then you might have trustee positions for to look at let's say risk and compliance or trustee positions to look at like the financial governance, how the company is spending their money, where they're spending their money. I know that now they're doing this whole thing to get more people from diverse backgrounds into it and stuff like that. So they're like, you know, we want the lived realities, the lived experiences, mm-hmm. those kind of voices on it. Um, so there's different boards. Uh, there's women on boards, which I was looking at the, the website. There's dynamic boards, which you can look for positions. There's another one, and I know Claude <coughs> is setting up like a 
a page or like a community, particularly for board positions, right? And becoming trustees, so, so we can fight for, we can apply for them. Exactly. What, what are the general kind of requirements for, for trustees? These, yeah. So generally, they want you to have experience first. So like getting into a voluntary position. Right. Some people are boards of like let's say a charity right. or something that's not too taxing on them because you have to look at your capacity too. Um, another way to look at look at it is I would recommend people talking to trustees in their companies or you could be talking to the senior leadership team about trustees you may not be a trustee of your own company but start to understand what they do and how they govern it because yes you have the ceo you have the coo the slt senior leadership team and stuff Mm. but they are governed by the trustees every company has them every company will have them or they should have them yeah so you have them and you have like the chair of the trustees as well so they'll meet maybe like quarterly or something to discuss and that's when the chief exec has to report back alongside other colleagues um what's been going on in the company how you've been spending your money has this um has this generated a certain result or whatnot so if they if you hear like somebody's a trustee it just means they're on the board of a company and the board is like who oversees and who gives you the yes or the no right. or the go ahead. So what's the difference between the exec and non-exec? Oh, so execs are those who are part of the company already, I believe. And non-exec are non Exactly. Okay, so you don't have to be part of the NHS to be on the board of the NHS trust got or something. You. But NHS has got lots of different trusts as well. Right. So it could be that. It could be like housing associations. It could be um, youth clubs. Um, but yeah, pretty much every organisation especially like the bigger ones, will have boards. Um, and you can even look on like LinkedIn as well to see who's a trustee of particular, oh. yeah, of particular companies um, and just finding out what do you do and what's required. So I, sometimes I sit on um, events to, from trustees and just to find out more about what they do, what's expected of them, right. the papers they've got to read before meetings, what they need to do. Um, and it can be quite lucrative. There's like people that's the chairman of a board and then 150k to to give up a day of the, a day a month of their I've time. I've heard that. I've heard. I've heard some people just yeah once a quarter meeting yeah and like, you're on like over 100k yeah that's the life we like. Imagine being can keep you on multiple boards. Yes, that's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Give me the seven figures. <laughs> Who wants me as a board member? I'm a, I'm applying or you can apply to me and I can say yes. I'm joking. I'm absolutely <laughs> going to be looking at board positions because a lot of us have experience, so much experience that we yeah. can take towards different board positions. Hundred percent. Yeah. Whether it's in like it could be, so I'm going to be on the board of Royal Mail. Yeah. Whether in risk and compliance or yeah. something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or people in development or something like that. Yeah. So I always say it's worth at least browsing through and seeing. And seeing. Okay, so you mentioned some of the websites earlier, and I'm gonna add links. And I'll do some research as well and add links to this podcast mm-hmm. um, description. But what ones can we look for, especially for black people as well? So the ones for, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't come across one that's specifically for black people. Mm. Um, but what I would say is to connect with Claude Williams. Okay. Um, I think his Insta is at Claude Williams. Let me look at him on the line. Yeah. And if you know of um, Dream Nation, then he was the founder of Dream Nation. But he has really, really, really good experience and knowledge on board positions. And like Claude I said, he's Williams. on a number of boards himself. And that's how I got to understand a lot more about becoming a trustee, um, what that involves. Or, you know what, even if it starts as being a school governor, and I think that's kind of like a long process itself, but going to be a school governor, which is not paid, but it 
and if you are school governor already, you can take that experience to um, board applications. Mm. So it's something you can do alongside your full time job. You don't have to like leave your job to to do that. I'm just looking at him now. He's got really. He's got a lot of um, experience. He's on a board for NHS as well. Yes, or an NHS trust, something like that. Yeah, yeah, the NHS trust. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where did you meet him at Hot Uni? So Cambridge. So again. Did you meet him during during uni? During uni, but through my friend Toby, who was part of Jubination as well. Ah, uh, I see. Jubination rings a bell. It rings a bell. I don't remember why. They did like events and galas back in the day. That's probably what it is. You might have remembered it from a few years ago. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I love that. Shout out to Claude then. Yeah. Spreading the knowledge and the wisdom. I know. And that's how I think, yeah, going back to your question about making more of these things visible. Yeah. That if you are in these types of these types of positions or you know about it, have the conversations yeah. because it's not like just because you might know it don't assume that it's general knowledge it's the ex- do you know what it's crazy because i was actually watching um a video on doing online courses mm. the other day and doing like books and stuff like ebooks and i was thinking hmm there's actually things that i know mm-hmm. that i could like intellectual property that i could share and mm. the, the lady that was talking about it i can't remember her name daniel something she was um saying that every single person has a unique experience that is of high value that you have to just tap into yes. and you know be willing to share it and have that confidence that your experience is valuable so i'm, I'm kind of I'm, i i feel like that's the message for 2022 at the moment and i'm soaking it in i'm taking yeah. it in because you're saying it i keep hearing it in like ads and you know <laughs> videos and conversations so i'm like yeah this is the messaging this year you know Love your it. experience is unique for a reason and even yours as well and anyone else out there watching as well your experience is unique and take it and Yes. use it to your advantage you know so, you quit your job yeah to start five vibe three six five indeed i love talking to people like this like because <laughs> it's just inspiring it's scary okay first of all when did you make up your mind that you're going to do it and what mm. was that process like talk us through the whole process of you actually leaving okay. full-time work to fully rely on yourself okay so let me go back a little bit before that so okay. i left my full-time job End of October 2021. Okay. That was at the end of something I was doing called 52 Weeks of Bravery. So let me just explain oh, what that okay, was. Yeah. I, mean, I remember that, actually. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Okay. So societal expectations and stuff, I started feeling really jittery about turning 30. And I know it's like a society thing. I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean I'm 29? The marks are coming down, so I'm going to be 30. Am I where I want to be? Blah, blah, blah. And I was very much aware that it's a, a social construct, right? I was very much aware, but I also was aware that yes, I am experiencing this. So I said, you know what? Instead of complaining about it, what are you going to do better? Like what's going to help you feel better? Because that 30 will come and I do want to reach it. <laughs> I still want to be here, but what do you want to do? So I said, okay, you know what? It was part of like the pandemic time as well. So I said, well, I want to be a bolder, braver version of myself. So let me just like do different challenges every week. Mm. actually I said challenges every month it was going to be 12 months so once ever yeah one thing every month and I started writing down the different things that I'd find a bit nerve-wracking I thought wow this list is going on a bit so then what some of the things that you did as well tell us okay cool so some of the things that I did the first one was walking my friend's dog because it was a big dog and I'm scared of dogs (laughs) the uh, another one was seeking therapy because I knew that there were things that I needed to like talk through and stuff but Mm. I also found that scary Mm. um 
another one was going to my grandmother's grave with myself which i hadn't done and i just felt mm. like i always avoided it and i didn't want to just have an avoidant approach to things mm. um another one was trying frog's legs and snails which i hadn't done before how was that um the snails were all right the frog's legs would have been okay if it wasn't in the shape of frog's legs like just seeing the little pale it wasn't green or anything but seeing the little pale legs in that bent shape on and my you plate, ate it like that yeah, it was really horrible. And then I think it was horrible because like, the little bones in there. You know oh! <laughs> yeah. I know about being brave, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't <sighs> say I'm in a hurry to go back to that French restaurant. But, I cannot uh, say that continue. at all. Oh, God, but anyway, yeah, go on. Um, did some improv acting, laughter yoga. Uh, what else? Decided to close down my dance company that I was doing at the time, the dance classes and stuff, and then restart the... the the coaching and i think sharing that online it was just like oh bev don't stop it don't stop it and i said you know what you have to know when something mm-hmm. is run its time or its season and i just why did you stop the dance classes okay so i stopped it um because i started it kind of a few months before we went into the pandemic okay. and then when the pandemic hit i was like oh, okay i'll transition online which i did and it was great to have international people joining but i just knew I just didn't feel as aligned. And then I got an injury, my other instructor got an injury, and then the other instructor got really unwell with COVID. And I said, you know what? Maybe like this is a time for me just to reflect and be still. Mm. And then um, deciding what I would want to go forward doing. So that's why like a lot of different things at the time, I just didn't feel like my heart was in it. Mm. And I said, you know, if I'm not, if my heart's not in it, and I don't want to keep on doing it. Mm. Is it a now thing or mm. is it a thing that's going to take its time? And I just kind of had a lot of time to, think about it, put some notes down about it and think, mm, no, you know what? I do enjoy dancing, but I enjoy it for myself more so. Mm. Do I want to always be teaching routines to people here, there and everywhere? No, I, I don't. And my plan when I was starting it was that I didn't even want to be like a dance instructor. I wanted other people to do it so they could spread the love and joy through dance. Mm. Um, and plus having the, um, there was like a social element to it, but also a reflective element to it. And I just right. thought, Mm, no this is not what i would want to keep on doing so that's why i had stopped it so that was part of the 52 weeks of bravery um i can't even remember now i was taking my first heels dance class because even though i liked i liked different dance classes i didn't do a heels one so that was a workout it was it most definitely was i can just about walk in heels can i do that anymore (laughs) let alone dancing how was that it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I've done like another Hills one since then as well. Guan, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there was so many different things that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and the final one was, thank you. And the final one was leaving my job. So that was end of October. I made that decision mm. in July because originally I said, right, I'll leave at the end of 2022. It's like this Christmas coming. And then I thought, oh, why am I giving myself a whole year and a half? Do I need a year and a half? And I said, okay, next summer, next summer. And then at the time, I'd been doing some trading, right? Mm. Um, so I'd been doing some trading as part of a group, which I've now left because it was also an MLM. And I'm, that's not for me. Is, um, is MLM like a pyramid scheme? Yeah. Okay. So they'll tell you it's not. But okay. yeah. Um, and then, but I was also doing some trading with somebody outside of that. And what I learned from him, rather than being an MLM, I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is so much better for me. And 
I was making a lot more money from it. Yeah. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do this trading. Let me just keep on doing it, keep on doing it, keep on doing it. Build it up and stuff. Um, and I said, what did you do trading then? Was it cryptocurrency or was it No, I was trading um, the German, well, at the time it was German 30. It's changed to German 40, the stock that stock index. So the top 40 um, companies in Germany. Mm. So that's what I was using to trade on something called IG.com. Mm-hmm. It was working very well, Alessia, until I got greedy. Um, it was working really? very it was working. How much really money well. did you make roughly on there? Can you talk about that or no? Yeah, so I started, I did put in I put in three K initially and I got it up to eight and a half. Mm. And then I said, you know what, let me just get it like to to ten K, then I'll take some out or whatever, I'll take an, take up my initial investment. So what oh, the 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 kind of method I was using is called scalping. Mm. Anyway, so what you're supposed to do with scalping is like you close a trade after every, let's say, £10 or £30. And I was doing this very easily, very quickly. And I got very cocky. And I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not trying to get £100. I'm going to move this this bar, this position, and I'm going to wait for it to close at £1,000. I'm going to make £1,000 in one trade. So it started going in the right direction I wanted to until the markets changed. The markets changed and all I saw was my, mind, my money going. <laughs> money going. I should have closed it. But I said, no, 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 no. It's going to reverse. The market's going to reverse. Alicia, I was holding that trade. Usually you close it after. all your money? Or just some of it? As in, I didn't lose all my money. Okay. But it was going right. So usually I would close each trade after a few minutes. I was in this trade for a few weeks because I was like, I need the market to go. But I didn't want to take it down because it was telling me that it was just going down. In the end, um, I closed out. I lost about four or five K. So I lost basically the profit that I'd made. And sugar dumpling. And about six days oh, later, no. the market went back in the in the way. If I had, oh, yes, yeah. so annoying. I saw it. I said it's around Thanksgiving time, like Black oh. Friday time, and it just dipped. And I said, oh my gosh, if I had just waited another five six days, but I'd you weren't have, to know because you, you weren't doing so much money anyway. Yeah. That's... So um, then I just took out the rest of my money. I said, forget this. But it was because I was not following the rules, right? If I had kept on following it, it would have been fine because um, that five and a half K that I made was in a pretty short amount of time, which was good. One day I may return to it, just um, not right now. So mm. yeah, I was doing that and I said, okay, cool. I've got this good thing going on. So I feel like I can, I had estimated how much I need to make every day and stuff. I had savings, emergency mm. fund, and I had contracts with companies before I had left my job. So I made sure that financially yeah. things were okay before yeah. I would leave. Yeah. Um, and then I just was like, okay, if this is going to be the thing that what you're doing, Bev, make it happen. So I just kept on building my network, building my network. I'd also been doing qualifications and because the work that I was doing at my previous job, which was at a university and I was often with students and coaching them and stuff, mm. it helped because they would pay for my training mm. and the courses. So I could also use that. Mm. And my um, my work colleagues knew about Vibe 365. They knew what I was doing. So my mm. manager was very, very supportive. Mm. So when I came to the time to hand in my notice and I told him, I was like, hey, well, this is very real now. Um, and then I was going to a conference in October and I said, you know what, I just, I started to feel a bit shaky. Mm. I said, I just need something from this conference, like something, something. It was 10 hours. And the one thing that I remember from the conference mm. is the guy who said, if you don't jump, the parachute can't open. Oh, all yeah. right. <laughs> that's that's kind of struck a nerve a little bit. <laughs> okay. 
I feel like I'm personally attacked. <laughs> and he was like, so many, so many of us want the parachute just to open yeah. when we're still walking, walking, walking. Sometimes you've got to do that thing that scares you. Yeah. And, you know, you put the things in place for that parachute to, yeah. right? So I was just like, okay, so yeah. still till now, I use that when I'm like thinking about decisions that I want to make or whatever. And I was just like, well, that can't happen unless you take that jump. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So that was the jump that I made um, end of October and then set up the Vibe365 Confidence and co- confidence and Creativity Coaching, which I mainly do online. Yeah. Um, but also, Is that weekly or like how, like how does that run? Is it B2B, B2C? Both. Okay. Yeah, so both B2B, B2C. I first started with B2B okay. because it was a lot easier to get into companies and they have budgets there already, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So that was, a, that was a lot easier for workshops, group things, whatnot. And then um, as of... A, couple months ago that's when i started taking on people like private one-to-one coaching so i was like okay cool this is going i've got a good flow steady flow and then now to add on the private one-to-one coaching so Mm. both of them i love for different reasons Mm. um and that's how yeah that's how it's been and i am very very happy in terms of how it's been going i definitely have days i just want to throw my laptop and myself just away and i'm like oh my god why is it because of the workload is it because things are not going right or like um i would say sometimes workload or just learning how to manage myself outside of work right yeah so for me when i know that i was in my in my nine to five i'd have to do these results these talks and i knew exactly what i had to do for the outcome that they wanted they would say this these are the kpi sometimes we'd work on kpis together for the strategy and then now it's just like okay so how how am I going? Like, what's the the road that I'm creating for myself mm. and also for other people that I'm working with? Mm. So it's really having that in mind and putting it in place. And sometimes what you start out with isn't what's going to be for the next three months or how I might expect it. So yeah. it's just being able to adapt really quickly um, to different things that's going on. And I think now I'm in a place, I'm more in a place now where I'm like, okay, understanding the landscape a lot more and i said to myself when i leave my job in the first year i want to just have a year of mistakes i want to fail fast everything let me just fall down fall down fall down so that i can get back up quickly Mm -hmm. um so i think i've welcomed that as well if that's Mm. not how it's supposed to be if the pricing for that was wrong then you just do it again yeah so what are some of your biggest learnings so far like running your own business almost a year now Almost, yeah, coming up to it soon. (laughs) Um, So biggest learnings would be having whatever works for you in terms of like your routine. So I know for me, how my energy can go if I've got like, so many more, so many coaching sessions in the same day. It's 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 not gonna work. No. Yeah. So I need to be able to spread it out how I would want it to be. What's my what days are my content days? Mm. Whatever. So being able to do that, I know that some women will do it like according to their cycle as well. Someone else was telling yeah. me that yesterday. Their cycle tracking. Um, I don't do that. I don't me have yeah. yeah. So for me, it was just like, okay, doing it according to my energy, because a lot of the time we will focus heavily on productivity. And I like to focus more on like, what's what makes me feel creative and energized and going along that way. So I would say when you're doing that, do it in that way, but also have some kind of morning routine so that you're used to it mm-hmm. um, in terms of what you're gonna be doing. Second one, have your money plans. So like I said, really? I had, my savings as well as my emergency fund as well as the trading thing as well as contracts because anything can happen and one thing that you don't want to happen is if something is like shaking you within business having the financial worries or concerns 
is, exactly, yeah, exactly that. Um, and and also figure out what it is for you because I was saying to myself like, yeah, before I did that, I was saving towards mortgage, and I said if I stop this now, that may not happen as quickly. Am mm. I okay with that? Mm. Where I what I'm doing right now. So mm. I would say don't say that you're gonna. If that is your plan and that's what you want first, mm. think about it properly in terms of the order and the mm. pattern of things that you want to do. Maybe you want to keep it on the side a little bit more, mm. but everyone's mm. journey is different. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's journey is so different. So just think about like, what is it for you? Um, and the third one is do not avoid, don't try to do like tax evasion and stuff like that. Don't avoid the legalities and the financial things. I'm set up as a limited company. Yeah. Someone might be set up as a sole trader or a partnership. Yeah. So really understand what you want to be set up as and why. Mm. Um, and just talk to, talk to as many people. Just say, oh, I want to start this. What have you done or what have you yeah. learned? Yeah. Because sometimes you can watch a lot of videos or... Um, read a lot of articles and you're still not sure so just think about people who yeah, have yeah, made yeah. the mistakes um i worked with an accountant thank goodness because i was just like i was trying to do it myself and i said no 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 i'm gonna speak to you because even even today i got a letter through the post today yeah about um i've having to file taxes within the next three months whatever for black Creek connect and right i'm like huh. <laughs> um so knowing that those things are going to come yeah as well there was another thing that i was gonna say oh my gosh for me having business mentors have been so helpful really? like I, I wouldn't be where i am now without the mentors for other people like i do pay for my mentorship program you might have ones the that are one. free yeah, exactly yeah. the ones that are free um and just having yourself surrounded in a community mm-hmm. with people who are doing similar things and that can share their learnings with you yeah. so i know that definitely being able to have mentors on hand who you can just turn to and say oh my gosh this has happened what do i do now mm. it's like oh, okay it's not that deep because i had like three or four companies since i trademarked 5365 mm. tell me to get rid of it or to cease and desist why and, uh, because they've got a, a company with a similar name and i'm like first of all yours is v-i-b-e and you say you do music social networking mm. it's different from what i'm doing but yeah. they'll try and do things and have their lawyers write to you with like scary really? language yeah there's still one i'm going back and forth with and this has been since like november oh leave me alone yeah <laughs> life is hard enough as it is um you don't have to go through uh. trademarking you don't have to um it just provides extra protection and security is it expensive it can be depending on how many things you want to trademark. So some people want to trademark their logo and a particular colour. You know, like Cadbury's trademark their colour or McDonald's or whatever. Um, you might want to pr- trademark a particular sound, like the um, Netflix sound. So mm. it depends on what you want to trademark and how many mm. categories you put it under. So mine's under three categories. Some people might say, you know what, I need it under clothing category and mm. under digital uh, products category and yeah. whatnot. But everything you do adds up. Right. And it depends on if you do it yourself or if you go through um, a lawyer. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say you need to go through a lawyer to do it mm. because it is extra fees. Um, and then, yeah, so once I turn to my mentors and they're like, oh, no, you don't need this or you don't need that. It's like, oh, okay. So these people are just trying to scare me because that's what would happen if sometimes if someone says you got to cease and desist by the 1st of July. Any products, any, any branding, get rid of it, start again. I said, what? Why? I'm just a small business trying to start up. Can't you just help me? Can't you just support me? Yeah. <laughs> um, so those would be some of the key learners I would say. And be honest with people. If you are yeah. just starting out, be honest 
and um, say, you know what, I've finished this qualification, I'm setting up a business, um, I would love to know what was your first, your top takeaway or whatever. Some people ask me, I'm happy to share. Mm. Um, so I would say just be honest and transparent with it and um, mm. building up your network loads. Yeah. And so just to also check, like, how did you get your, your business mentors? Yes. And how did how have you started building up your network and your clients and everything as well? Yes. So my mentors are doctor now, Dr. Baron Cole <laughs> and uh, Bianca Miller Cole. And I first came across them. I just, I was, I don't know. I was following them or no. So we both know Remy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had started her business, Motherland Treats. And then I saw that she went into like a partnership or something with Bianca and Byron. Mm. And um, I looked at what they were doing self-made. And I think I just jumped on one of their webinars, like a free webinar. Mm. And I said, oh, they've given me a lot of information I didn't know already mm. in this time. Mm. Um, let me look into it. So mm. then... From that webinar, that's when I decided that I would join them for six mm, months. Mm. It was an, an initial six-month thing. And then I extended that for an extra year. So this is my final month, actually. So I've been with them for a year and a half as mentors. So what type of things do they teach? Like, do you think that is like you would be where you are today without their support and encouragement? Like, what type of things do they teach you? I wouldn't, but... Some people could be. It depends okay. on if you know where to look. Right, right. I may not have known where to, where to look. look and I would have doubted myself way more. Right, right, right. So I know that I would have been like, oh yeah, but can I really go and do this? Should I? Right. And I know how I am. Um, so just being able to have the one-to-one -one sessions with them was really helpful. In terms of the actual teachings, because also they would have like mastermind sessions every, every month as well. So mm -hmm. it might be around SEO or uh, different types of branding or uh, because they've got two published books. So becoming a published author, public speaking, right, how right. to get paid um, for your public speaking or right. how to approach these, how to get your speaker bio set up, right. um, how to get your media kit, press kit, all those things together. Right. Um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn automation, whether it's using Octopus or Sales Navigator, which you might be using yeah. as well. So all these different bits and pieces um as well as giving you targets so it's not the which if i was doing it by myself maybe we're like okay yeah let me go and write that email he's like no start doing contacting 100 people a day i'm like huh 100 people a day <laughs> like in, what in emails or calls or what yeah calls so he's things like mainly calls right so i remember beforehand hey, i'm so old school though does so this will work it does depending on how you build your sales scripts so we go through right. different types of closing questions as well right. um and just about how to find the decision makers and what you're going to be able to talk to them about so i think beforehand if it, i remember some calls that i started doing early last year and i thought oh i just wanted to get off the phone because i could hear myself just yeah. waffling so being able to get those types of things and what you should be charging and what you're looking at and this that and the other really helped me for other people they may already be in certain industries where they learn that and they know yeah, those yeah, types yeah, of things and yeah, yeah. um, for other people they may say that you know they've got somebody on youtube or free mentorship or whatever it may be that they're already doing it with. So i'd say yeah. look at where you are right now yeah. and look at the barriers or obstacles that you find that you're facing yeah. and then find if you feel like you need mentors find mentors who can guide you in relation to what, what it is that you want to um, yeah, get you, past that's some really useful advice i feel like you dropped so many gems in this whole conversation it's been a real good conversation girl yeah we've covered so much <laughs> in, in such a short space of time man can chat <laughs> which is good but um 
I mean, obviously, I'm really proud of you, like, of what, what you're doing, where you've kind of come, your journey. Thank you. Um, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, I guess, promote yourself, say whatever you, where, where people can find you. Yeah. Whatever it is that you want to say, where people can find you. And so, here's, so take Amazing. it away. Amazing. Okay, so you can find me on Instagram at BevDidThat. So B-E-V-D-I-D-T-H-A-T-T-T. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then my business, so Vibe365 is V-Y-B-E-365, www.vibe365.co.uk. Um, I think those are the main ones. Um, I'm currently doing a program called Imposter to Owner, which is a four-month coaching program in terms of your confidence and creativity, whether that's public speaking, whether it's getting a new career, changing, whatever it might be, if you know that you feel that you're experiencing um, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, whatever it might be, then I'm doing Imposter to Owner. Um, I also work with associate coaches within STEM, which is science, tech, engineering, mathematics, um, performance, well-being, a whole different range. So those are the places to find me brilliant 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 well thank you so much for coming on today bev thank and, you for having um, me yeah i hope to see you around at some more boat parties and some more vibes and everything throughout the summer and also <laughs> networking events too always but, um, thank you so much for listening guys remember to share this episode like connect with bev and subscribe see